Those GGGs come out to socialize. In honor of Disney's Haunted Mansion and my girlfriend watching the 1959 House on Haunted Hill this week, <laughs> what's your favorite cinematic haunted house? I'm Matt Patches. I'm going to go with a, a funny one. I'm going to say Beetlejuice. 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 Hey, it's me, David the Seven. I'm back to say uh, the Carmichael house from 1980s, the Changeling bathtub, wheelchair, and red rubber ball. I'm David Ehrlich. I was going to go with the Innocence, but I think I'm actually going to go for a more modern or more recent take on uh, a similar milieu, which is uh, The Others, recently announced to come out on Criterion. Love those Jersey cool. Island moors, the fog, inescapable on all sides. Good movie. Heartbreak great, feels good in a house like that. Heartbreak really, uh, I, I, you know, she would tell you by the end that uh, uh, she's in denial, trying to make it feel good, insisting <laughs> that it feels good, despite all evidence to the contrary. You can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine then, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. Hello, and welcome to Fighting in the War Room, number 438 for the week of Wednesday, July 26th. And on that day in 1775, the U.S. Continental Congress created the United States Post Office. And it's been smooth sailing ever since. Remember when we almost lost the post office? Wasn't that going to happen? Wasn't Trump going to shut down the post office or something? I'm spreading misinformation. Awesome. <laughs> But there was a second where they were. Louis DeJoy was uh, was seriously taxing the post office, and not not in the I mean, it's a poor choice of words. But he was uh, he he was doing things that seemed very self destructive to the post office. That's for sure. Well, I'm glad they kept it around so I could get uh, bills. Yeah, coupon booklets. Yeah, you wouldn't have gotten any bills if they canceled uh, the post office. No more bills. <laughs> See, that's what they were saying. these Republicans, I got something on there. Yeah, that, that sounds great. No more bills? <laughs> well, this is usually where we uh, read reviews. Uh, David, do we have any new iTunes reviews? We do indeed. Oh, cool. hey. Switch. Uh, we, we do, yeah. Um, I, I will read them to you now. <laughs> um, we, should mention, we should mention this part of the episode uh, already that Katie is not here. Oh, uh, yeah, Katie. Oh, yeah. This is, Katie's and, and not I'll, here. Yeah, I'm just gonna say in advance. Of I feel like <laughs> there have been there have been many inopportune times for Katie. Where the stars to, uh, just align. The stars align. Uh, Katie is is not here, and she leaves three bros talking about movies, and they all have felt uh, poorly timed to one degree or another. And this is not one of them think, because she voluntarily no. said she was not going to show up for the Barbie episode. And, uh, yeah, no, wow, quite the I opposite. Was, I think. I, was, I, oh. I think just as a general disclaimer heading into it, this is probably the most egregious example of that. Um, uh, tonight we're all Kens. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I think tonight we're all Allens. I don't know about you. We're all Allen. I mean, no, Ken is, Allen. Yeah, no. I, I mean, if you really want to split hairs, Ken is definitely. <laughs> Very aspirational for me. I don't think anyone needs that to be pointed out. <laughs> I wish I thank could you. rock a fur like that. Um, no, I'm more of an Allen. Yeah, natural born Allen. Uh, all right. Boogie Nights 88, but spelled like knight as in like a medieval knight, says fine, but not nearly good. Not nearly as good as Battleship P. I think pretension, I suppose. Oh, but I this is happening way. again for some reason. 
Yeah, I wonder if it's the same guy or if it's just a generally, you know, widely held opinion that our podcast... I mean, it could be that our podcast is not good as battle, Battleship Potential, but it feels like a very specific comparison. Anyway, um, also, uh, I guess also is to also to the subject line. Also, the hosts are always talking over each other, and that really gets annoying after a while. It gets annoying for you, Boogie Nights and Imagine how annoying it is for me. Uh, <laughs> HDLCF. J-Z-F-B, a screen name that I assume was chosen by a cat walking over their keyboard, says Prasine Coline Sinine Suisol. I don't know what that means. Uh, perhaps a reference to something that I don't like get. An incantation you just read on air? Are we yeah. going to Oh live? no, the, <laughs> the fucking thing from Insidious the Red Door is currently standing right behind me. Wait, um, <laughs> did you see that movie? What, what, was I, I had the, what was behind the red door? It spoil it. Fucking childhood trauma or whatever. I don't know. I mean, the oh, movie was all no, incoherent. Um, <laughs> if only. Uh, anyway, this person says absolutely love the show as well as Little Gold Men podcast. And I'm a big fan of Ehrlich and his reviews, even when I don't agree on a take. I think his writing is fantastic. And now I'm a big fan of all of you. Love the breadth of topics you guys cover. The only thing is. You changed the music after you read the reviews from this awesome song, and I miss it. It's a goofy song sung in fake English, and it rocks. Bring it back! Friedkin Soli Asia Chuso. All right. Actually, back, I, you Dave, know what? I, or else. I, I, I don't, I don't want to spoil what might be happening in, like, 30 seconds, but I actually was... Uh, motivated to, to switch it again, so I think we might be... Uh, we might... Be off uh, remembering Tar uh, for the first week uh, in in a while uh, because have you guys seen that second Killers of the Flower Moon trailer? I have. I I haven't. That Did track. I? That track is uh, Stadium Pow Wow. Uh, that track is fucking great, and I am struggling right now to find a way to legally buy it because I would like that remix artist and anybody else who work on it. To get my money, but it is like only streaming on like YouTube and Apple Music. I when I click the download thing, it's it breaks. So uh, if I could find a way to successfully get this track and pay somebody money for it, we might be uh, we might be stadium powwowing here in a little bit. But you can review the show on iTunes. We'll read it on the show. Uh, this is for the American iTunes. Uh, that's the one we have access to. If you live elsewhere in the world we would love it if you review it on your local itunes that helps people find the show but you can also email us your itunes review or any other thoughts to fitwr.podcast at gmail.com we have no emails to clear right now so uh i mean inbox zero I, baby i know i know uh david's playing a bounce deck and that just got nerfed so how, how dare us <laughs> dare us to talk more about marvel snap uh but until then on with the show All right, as mentioned at the top of the show, we will be discussing Barbie in a little bit, but I, I told you guys that I feel like if we give Christopher Nolan the, the floor in our previous episode, that maybe we should talk a little about Greta Gerwig in the beginning of the show here. I'm not sure she's, like, you know, she hasn't been in this biz, well, 
directing for as long as as Nolan. But she's almost been in this biz as long as Nolan. Her career is so wild. I mean, she is a, a mumblecore 24-year-old from the 2000s, and then she kind of jumped into Hollywood. She was in an Arthur remake. Does anyone, I was about to say, you're burying, the, you're burying the lead. She's the female <laughs> lead, the female lead, to be particular, in the remake of Arthur. With all, you know, I'm Russell Brand, and y'all, she y'all, I can't actually. We're watching too much she Love Island seen... to shift into Russell yeah. Brand. But. Um, and then I feel like she had her breakout moment with Francis. Ah, uh, maybe not so much Mistress America, but like Francis Ha is millennial canon for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and then she shifts gears again and becomes this writer director with Lady Lady Bird made such a splash in Little Women. I I I was just reading our colleague Stephanie Zaharik's one hundred films of the last one hundred years on time, and and Little Women was in the mix there. I'm like, oh yeah, people love that Little Women mm-hmm. adaptation from 2019. You are forgetting um, one uh, one key point okay, um, that actually a lot of people forget and never really understood why. That she and made a di- uh, she directed movies in the mumblecore era. No, it's that she uh, was in my Japanese film and literature class in college. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then when I uh, <laughs> listen, no, no shade to Greta, no shade, no shade to Greta Gerwig, who uh, as a filmmaker I I have. Absolutely no complaints about, but um, I remember going up to her at a little, at like a, you know, a, a, an intimate luncheon a few hours before the premiere of Lady Bird at Telluride in, I guess, 2017, um, and like trying to make small Dropping talk in fact. a little group of people. And I was like, oh, I have an icebreaker that is there were six people in my class or whatever it was. And I was like, oh, you know, funnily enough, I remember you being in this class. And she looked at me like I had three heads. Uh, and that was more or less the end of that conversation. Um, if that makes Don you like Draper, her more, I, I totally understand. Uh, but yeah. I'm sorry, David. I'm sorry that you got dissed there and that uh, the big the Columbia Bonds weren't strong. But yeah, I was yeah, also reading the, that. They, yeah, they saw the mark. I guess during her Barnard College days, she was roommates with Kate McKinnon. This is new trivia to me. And Kate McKinnon, of course, in Barbie. Whoa. Sure. Is. Everything, hey, imagine. everything comes back. Um, here's my question for you about Greta Gerwig. I kind of want to understand where you all think that she is as a filmmaker or just as like this this Hollywood presence, a movie-making presence right now. Maybe she's just a director, not an actor anymore. That doesn't, I, maybe that doesn't matter. I mean, we're, we are, I mean, it, it seems like she's trending in that direction, but we are only about seven months removed from White Noise, in which, again, oh, she played the female lead. So That happened, yes, with her partner Noah Baumbach. Who yeah, I mean, there, there is an asterisk because it was directed by her partner. They were all on set together as a family. I mean, I think that is a extenuating circumstance that, you know, even if she's trying to get out of acting, may have compelled her to do another role. But certainly her plate is full behind the camera. I guess I'm wondering, like, where does this feel like a crossroads after many, many other crossroads? Is she on a path? Is she like a Christopher Nolan since Barbenheimer is is part of this conversation. These movies are now binary stars and totally entangled with each other. Are these, are they similar filmmakers in any way? Are they the opposites? Is that why opposites attract here with Barbenheimer? Are they two halves? Mm. Or I just feel like she has a lot of a, she has a bit of a burden uh, in a way that Nolan doesn't, or maybe did 20 years ago. I'm, I don't know where you stand on that, but like she's both, she's the young millennial director. She's 
a director with a vision trying to make movies in the IP era. She's a female director trying to be the biggest female director of all time. And then she is taking a lot of flack, I think, in the lead up to Barbie, where she has said, I want to make big studio movies. And a lot of that makes people frown. The people who love Lady Bird and love Little Women, are they turning on Greta Gerwig? What's going on with Greta Gerwig? Is my I mean, question to you all. I Not to jump too far ahead of Barbie, but there's a reading of Barbie that um, now that Barbie's successful means she gets her wish and she doesn't have to be the doll anymore. She gets to tell the stories. And I, if that's what she wants, I think Barbie is really kicking open a door for her. Uh, she has, you know, when filmmakers hit their moment, their next thing is always there's a lot of pressure on it. Even though it's not her sophomore project, there's gonna be a soft. There's gonna be people looking for a sophomore slump, uh, sort of a reaction to wherever it is. Uh, but since we don't know what that's gonna be yet, I don't think. Um, I am looking forward to it. Uh, Lady Bird. I mean, I haven't seen Nights and Weekends, the first uh movie. Fake fan. Okay, good. Uh, <laughs> Lady Bird felt. Very, very personal to her growing up experience and uh, use that to great effect. Uh, Little Women, she obviously had a great sort of uh, appreciation for the material, uh, even with Little Women popping up in Barbie. And then Barbie is, you know, its own thing that we're going to review later. But I definitely see an upward trajectory of that where if she cares about all of these things and that's the through line that makes her a successful director then I want to follow where she wants to go rather than try to paste something onto her. Like, do not give her Captain Marvel 3 or whatever you think is the next step for her because you're a dumb executive who won't go to the bargaining table with two unions right now. I, I would like to just someone to ask her what she wants to do. And if she was to do, you know, Singing in the Rain remake shot on a soundstage, uh, I will watch well, that movie I opening weekend don't want her to uh, movie, but um but well i mean i i was skeptical when it was announced after ladybird which is one of my favorite movies of the past 20 years that her second film was or her second film her second film was the sole director was going to be little women uh which was on first blush not a story that i felt you know urgently needed to be retold uh and felt like a a waste of her singular talents i mean there's a a beloved version that, of Little is, Women that's only what, a few years old. What do you? What or, is that singular talent to you after Lady Bird? I know that you're a huge, huge fan. I'm kind of curious what you think. Well, I'll get there, but I just, I just, okay. which is just to say that uh, you know this is now two movies in a row where something that sounded, um, I don't know, sort of uh, like she was losing the plot on paper was further reminder not to judge anything until you actually see like it. Do you think there's like a Nolan? Is there a Nolan comp here actually? Because is is Lady Bird Memento? Is Little Women? Uh, insomnia is Barbie. Batman Begins. Is there some sort of similar trajectory or uh, tone there? I don't think so. I mean, I think you know. What do you want me to say? There's such similar filmmakers that if not for opening credits, I would have thought Oppenheimer was Barbie and Barbie Oppenheimer. <laughs> um, their styles identical. Um, no, I. I uh, what is that singular thing? I mean, I think I love the, just at a basic level, sort of like the, the wit and energy and pacing of her films, which is, I mean, that is the biggest, the biggest point of divergence between Barbie and her previous work, even more than it being an $100 million Mattel movie for me, was just um, the, the sort of the, it has that energy, but not quite at the same clip 
Uh, it feels a little bit more conventional, but we'll get there. But I think, um, yeah, it's, uh, I, I, I don't know what, it, I, it's hard to distill what makes her special into a soundbite, but um, I think she understands something very key about self-becoming growing up. Um, if I can extrapolate beyond that from a second hand positions about girlhood and womanhood. I and mean, it's like other filmmakers who do that in ways that read very lucidly to me on the outside looking in or like a Sofia Coppola or Mia Hansen love, obviously all those women have very different tonalities in their films, mm. but, um, but, uh, I was sort of as someone who appreciated little women liked the Christian Bale, Kirsten Dunst film, but never really took it close to heart. I was really blown away by just how deeply her version struck me and resonated with me and just how beautiful and moving I found it. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think, I think there is something special and she does port a lot of that over into Barbie somehow. I mean, the same way that you sort of bring a lot of yourself with you when you play with dolls. I mean, I think that there's so much of her in there um, and that she was really the only person who could make this movie what it is. And it feels like a Greta Gerwig movie. So that's exciting. Is she Christopher Nolan? Was Lady Bird a memento? I don't know. I mean, it's like as any mega successful <laughs> single, uh, you know, the sole credited directorial debut uh, will have. It had a very, it opened a lot of doors for her. Um, and like Christopher Nolan, even faster than Christopher Nolan, she chose to sort of go uh, with established IP, if you can call Little Women that, the Batman of the time. I don't know time. if it's faster than um, him. That's what I guess what I'm saying that it's it's kind well, of he, well he well he kicked around for a minute. He made it. He made Insomnia. Um, right, but that's the Little know? Women comp. That's no. Well, no, I'm saying Little Women as Batman Begins. Uh, so she 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 went straight <laughs> there. Um, and uh, you know, I think. Listen, I, I as I said already in the segment. She has earned the right to be innocent until proven guilty, you know, as, as much as any filmmaker alive. Uh, there are a few literary properties I care less about on this fucking earth than the Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, <laughs> and so, again, even more than ever before, I'm She's challenging of, you every time. She really is. She really is. Uh, and God bless her for that. But uh, as Christopher Nolan did, you know, when he sank very deeply into a one for them, one for me mode um, while making all of those movies, you know. In, in distinguished Christopher Nolan movies, I would love Greta Gerwig to make something more, you know, unabashedly her and uh, undiluted by whatever Netflix is going to you know, bring in there and C.S. Lewis and all that shit. I would love to see her just do her uh, and then go to Narnia. But it sounds must, like she wants but... to do these. Of course it does. I, I mean, think, but I think... is, that's another that's yeah. another kind of like, I mean, I, I mean, she, she may live... want to. I may not want her to. Yeah, true. But, <laughs> but I mean, uh, she, this is where no, no, no one I, out there is taking career advice from me. So, yeah, this I I don't mean to like put her in the shadow of, of Nolan. I think I just have Oppenheimer on my on my brain, and the way Nolan's been able to play in the sandbox, this gigantic blockbustery sandbox that hasn't always been IP. He's done the Batman movies, and that's about it. He's kind of making his own. You know, giant space odyssey, it's interstellar, giant war movies, it's a genre, it's a blockbuster genre, but he's not going to the source material or something. So, I, I, you know, Narnia could be that for her. I think I'm interested in hearing what you guys think, like what her style is. You're kind of touching on this, David. We were talking in the Oppenheimer conversation or the, the Nolan conversation that with Oppenheimer, he's kind of calcified himself in a good way. And Wes Anderson is similar. Like there's a there's a look to Wes Anderson's films. We know it's a Wes Anderson's films. Hell, the AI can make or can attempt to make a parody. Attempt, attempt. Yeah, that, that emphasis on attempts. 
we know we know it's identifiable as fake Wes Anderson. Um, these guys are really into the aesthetic, and with Nolan, I think he has like an oral stamp too, or an oral, I should say. Um, but I with with Gerwig, like Barbie is drastically different than Little Women, which I think is kind of drastically different than Lady Bird. A real concentration on what the material demands. It's not like Tim Burton showing up to do Edward Scissorhands and like I'm gonna do my thing here, but with this story, uh, it's like she's adapting herself, and but she has a writer brain, right? Like she. Is, that's where Frances Ha feels like her movie just as much as Noah Baumbach's too. I mean, Barbie uh, is obviously a lot much more, a lot more aggressively driven by aesthetics than her previous movies, which both have aesthetics of their own um, and clear styles. But I, I do think, you know, as you're saying about her sort of writer's brain, I would like to think, and I have no way of being able to prove this, but I would like to think that if I saw Barbie without any pre-knowledge as to who had made it or what, you know, the circumstances around its making, by the time we got to the pavement joke or the yeah. the joke about fascism, you know, and Barbie's response to that, she's not in charge of the rebel. Like, like reference. I would have been able to <laughs> narrow it down to like it, maybe three filmmakers who it possibly could have been from. Um, I would well, like. There to aren't think many that. millennial aged filmmakers right, right now working, and we're going to talk level, about the millennial right? like, the millennial ish nature of this movie and why I think that's so inextricable from its identity in the review. Yeah. Um, but I, I guess I'm trying to think of, like, who are the other, even the directors? I mean, Jordan Peele might be in this category, but people with the writer brain making this movie is, with all due respect to Nolan, who, you know, solely wrote Oppenheimer. Yeah, you can I tell. don't know if he's a dramatist. Yeah, I, like, I think he's <laughs> still kind of putting storyboards and images together and then just barfing dialogue into those scenes, even though it's a very talky movie. But here we have someone who's just like working on a giant scale and and really feeling like screenplay first. Is anyone else doing that? Like, is that her her lane to in, in the world? It, are you I mean, not in the world, in, but in at this arena at this scale, and like that's what I mean. Like, who else yeah. is working in Hollywood that really does that? I you know, when you look at her influences and read her interviews, you know, she talk about Claire Denise or Ernst Lubitsch and you know, old filmmakers, new filmmakers, people who make a lot of sense when you watch her movies, but. I'm not sure there's anyone who's doing what she does as a writer on these movies. And it's exciting after Barbie, whatever you think of the movie, like, hey, here's someone who writes the screenplay first. What a <laughs> what a refreshing alternative to a lot of what we get at that scale. The screenplay. Yeah, um, I, I mean, it's it just seems like she got very good at doing these like small movies that felt true that, you know, we sometimes called mumblecore because of like the way they were shot but then each movie she's actually directed has sort of taught her a new language to build on top of those things they still feel like personal millennial movies but now it's been blown out to a mattel commercial and it still manages to like get through so that's why i'm excited if she wants to go you know if she wants to go narnia if she wants to go musicals if she wants to go something that's so far away from uh, the stuff that she was really good in writing and acting in, a la Frances Ha, that's that's fine. It's if she did Frances Ha over and over and over again, we wouldn't be talking about her anymore, uh, or probably not. I don't know. Maybe like Frances Ha Seven would be amazing. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I, I, I think she, it's oh, a sorry, Dave, You finished. I was she, just, she's just like, learning. Oh, go on. Sorry. <laughs> and there was a moment where I thought you were done. 
Sorry, Battleship Retention guy. There's a lag sometimes. We're all thousands of miles away doing our best over here. <laughs> yeah, she's learning and she's building off of her strengths uh, as a writer and performer to become a better director. And whereas Nolan feels like he's building off of, uh, you know, uh, cool ideas he has while directing other movies, he could build the whole movie out of trying to direct that idea. I do think the closest comp, though, is because... If Barbie is her Batman Begins, very similar to Nolan, she's going to start getting counter-programmed because people are going to be like, this is the feminist director, so we better have Expendables 8 or whatever the fuck come out against her her Chronicles of Narnia. I I don't think she'd be, you know, I think being a woman is enough to be put pigeonholed like that in Hollywood. I don't know if... uh... The feminist bent of her films, the fact that they well, are actually and, focused and, on women concerns and love that nature is going to make it even more of a challenge for her. If anything, I think it opens I, a pathway to a wider audience. I guess that's fair. I mean, it's like Barbie was went up against Oppenheimer mostly because Christopher Nolan left Warner Brothers and she just fucking trounced him. So in my mind, if uh, counter programming is back in theaters, uh, they're going to counter-program the next Greta Gerwig movie on the hopes that it could scrape up $80 million in her wake. Yeah, I don't know if Barbenheimer is necessarily a repeatable phenomenon, but uh, I guess we'll see with what, what are they calling it? The uh, Saw X and Paw Patrol? Saw Patrol? Uh, <laughs> Saw <laughs> Patrol! Yeah, uh, we uh, will see, I suppose. Not sure um, it's going to be that level. Yeah, I, I have a hard time picturing it. But I do, I think that like she has a clear enough sensibility and sense of self and and sort of a a cohesive control over every element of the material and the story she wants to tell and the tone around it that like you know i think she will fare well in uh whatever she tries it's really hard for me for me to imagine her making something that just like outright doesn't work um it is possible maybe as we'll find with like paddington 2 director paul king's wonka movie i don't know i'm holding out hope but you know, that someone who you really vibe with, the kind of art they like to make, just chooses a subject matter that you could not possibly care less about and uh, just can't muster the same level of excitement. Who knows? But I do think that she brings a certain a certain eye and ear and level of intelligence to everything that she does that like. Yeah. And as Batches was saying, I mean, that, that the freedom and the 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 sort of comprehensiveness that she brings to a project at that level is very rare. Um and she just bought herself a big old license to do it again. <laughs> okay. And uh, we'll see what happens. I, I'm I'm just looking at her acting credits right now. And man, she really prepared for this moment to gear shift to directing. Because she's worked with a lot of great directors. She, I, she was in my number one movie of 2016, Wiener Dog by Todd Salons. She was in a Mia Hansen <laughs> love movie, Eden, which I think she David She was briefly loves. in a uh, wonderful... Mia Hansen love movie. She was uh, wonderful in it. And she's in it for about five minutes, but, uh, but she's like hanging yeah. with Mia Hansen love. Like that's what I'm, yeah, that's no. what I'm really I mean, saying. It's a very, she, a very she cool. With Whit Stillman, cool Mike Mills. I always forget she was in 20th Century Woman, and she was in. She's Jackie. excellent in 20th Century Women. She's wow. excellent, Jackie. But here's here's my. I mean, it helps. Question. It helps when yeah. it helps when you give a shit about movies and you <laughs> right. want to work with people who give yeah. a shit about movies. And I think whatever <laughs> you feel movies. about whatever you feel about Greta Gerwig. If you're right, like I am, that she's genuinely, like, you know, generally brilliant, or if you're mistaken, uh, I don't think the point can be argued that she gives a shit about movies. Popcorn. Movies. Movies! They're great. 
Um, here's my wrap-up question. David, you probably have the most to say about this as a, as a correspondent of Indie Wire, the Independent Wire, which is, we touched on this a little earlier, but, you know, Greta Gerwig's coming from Mumblecore, which in 2006 through 2010, great disdain for that uh, collective, I think, from a, a mass critical community, unless you're Richard Brody at The New Yorker. <laughs> um, and I'm wondering if you think it's kind of like paid off and vindicated itself as the grand mumblecore experiment. Like, do you see that still in her, in her movies? Has uh, what? Uh, what's the legacy of mumblecore? I don't think Joe Swanberg is really in the mix these days. He's I mean, what's the legacy of... of mumblecore is a much bigger question that I think you can I just guess. throw in at the end of a unrelated. Segment, That's what I do here. I, throw the curveballs. <laughs> Mumblecore as a term is, is probably more unhelpful than not, and I did always sort of feel like her sensibility was sort of on the fringes of that, um, because it was a little bit more writerly and um, precise, uh, and not the quite as... The were not going to be making Barbie. If, yeah, if I mean, she was... I, I think she... She fares better in a mode, and this is the, the mode that she sort of adopted, where there is meaning behind everything that she does and every line of dialogue is sort of, there's a feeling behind it's worked over and she is not one of those people who I think as a filmmaker, maybe as an actress or as an actor, I mean, I think you know this is true of most actors and actresses, but as a filmmaker, I don't think she can just like Steven Soderbergh, like throw a fucking idea in the fire and just churn it out and see how it goes and edit it on the train home from set and move on with her life. Uh, and I love that about her because I, I think sometimes you know, we're all everyone's out there trying to make content and trying to trying to have product that can move. But perfection is not always the enemy of the good. Um, and uh, I, I do like how, you know, how fussed over her films can feel, even Gee, and in a way that feels so, they're so alive. Similar. They no, but like she fusses over them in a way that they feel so like they're happening in real time before your eyes. They feel so alive on the screen, but that's only because they've been so carefully shaped in on the page and in the edit. Um, and yes, she's exactly like Christopher Nolan. Exactly. There you go. This is not a segue, but let's talk about Greta Gerwig's Barbie. There will be a break between me saying this and us doing that. Hiya, Barbie. Hi, Ken. You want to go for a ride? Sure, Ken. Jump in. I'm a Barbie girl in the Barbie world. Black and black. That was the break. We're back to talk about Greta Gerwig's Barbie. Uh, we have hey, all Barbie. seen it. It seems like a lot of you have seen it. Uh, doing incredible no, numbers. Yeah, incredible numbers at the box office. Well, I'm trying to justify why we did Barb and Hiver over two weeks. And both David and I have seen Haunted have Mansion and, and talked to me at this point. And <laughs> I still think talking about Barbie is probably... <laughs> the the best thing to do uh th this weekend david unless you really like to talk to me more than i think you did uh i i mean well i don't have to go on a tangent here but as someone who has long been a cheerleader for a24's finger quotes elevated horror close finger quotes um talk to me was the first like you know 
Sundancey breakout A24 horror movie that just did absolutely nothing for me. I thought it was wow. really low rent. People low rent and I know it completely baffles me. I got nothing out of it. And, uh, you know, go with God if you enjoyed it. And that's why um, I Haunted love Mansion horror, is for but... you. You love Haunted Yeah, exactly. That's, that's uh, where the real scares are. <laughs> inside everyone, there are two wolves. And for me, the, the Haunted Mansion is winning. <laughs> Uh, but oh, Barbie uh, won the weekend. It's still setting records as we're recording this for uh, Monday grosses for Warner Brothers, Tuesday grosses, Wednesday grosses. People love Barbie. I went to a uh, Alamo Draft House party screening, got myself a pink beret and some heart glasses, wore my I've pink seen the shirt. Picture. Yeah, it was a it was fantastic. It was a fantastic time uh, at the movies. But uh, we're here to see if there's anything we could add to this conversation uh, without well, Katie yeah, Rich we're here. getting the, the, the man's opinion, finally. Yeah. We're weighing no, there's in. There's ben Shapiro. In. <laughs> I, I think there is nothing we can add to this conversation. It doesn't mean we're not going to wow, try. really? Or just vamp for okay, 30 minutes. Over, I, I, I so, you know. Uh, we've already... We have... The, the, the discourse around this movie, you know, we're, we're moving in, in, like, you know, interstellar speeds now, uh, has already... Because there's so, a backlash. There's a backlash. So not just a backlash, the backlash, but it's already become like everyone's chasing down backlash their own wormholes to go again with another Interstellar reference. And it's just like, what is anyone even talking about anymore? Like the actual object of the center of it feels so many light years away. But maybe we'll 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 have the power to bring it back to the movie itself, and not just the conversation around the movie. Where where I mean, can we start at the other end of the wormhole and travel backwards? Yeah. Where has the discourse begun? Is it just, or? Has, has uh, it although, gone? You know, it's about toys and commercials, and I've seen a lot. Yeah, of there's a lot of. This is, yeah. go on. You're going to say the same thing com- I was. Yeah, this is a big toy commercial, and this is insidious. This is Mattel weaponizing. It's not insidious. Uh, there's no red door. Yeah, the doors no are pink. Do- Actually, there's pink doors. Consider the shade of red. I do want to pose that question to you guys because I, I have also seen a lot of conversation around that uh, for the yeah. people who you know crowing about how this is a. Uh, just a glorified Mattel commercial. And to those people, I say, have you seen a studio movie in the last 20 years? <laughs> they, are, they are all right. uh, commercials for sometimes for something, sometimes even this explicit, uh, but seldom this sort of uh, self-reflexive and and interesting and, and uninterested in being that. But I that brings me to my greater point. The question I want to pose to you guys, which is that as someone for whom Barbie, the movie sort of instantly from the moment it was announced eclipsed any sort of relationship I had to Barbie the dolls. And I had a sister who would play with them when I would play Ninja Turtles. Again, I don't understand why these are separate movies. Uh, in my experience, they should just be one. <laughs> but I, uh, you know, I, I feel like watching the movie. I, I mean, I, I think you could watch this movie if you're coming from another planet and not know that Barbie dolls are a real thing to a degree. I mean, be, you might have some questions, but I mean, Mattel as a corporate entity is so far divorced from anything that I engaged in in this movie. I'm not saying it's not there. I'm not saying it's not a real factor I mean, that they are trying there. to. Of course it's yeah. there. And of course it is. It is by all literal account, a advertisement for Mattel. They're trying to move toys. They're trying to get themselves into the movie space and beef up the uh, value of the I don't brand. Know if they're, do you think they're trying to move toys? I guess that is the question you're asking, which is, is well, Barbie a mega commercial? They're not or... not trying to move toys, uh, but I think it is pointed that you don't actually see a Barbie toy in the film. 
Um, but yes, you I, do. That's not you true, do, but you do. Yes, because there's a bit of a montage in the beginning oh, right, where right, right, kids yeah. are playing with the Barbie dolls, and and yeah. ultimately this is trying to say Barbie is still good for girls in 2023. Go buy your kids a Barbie. I think it is a commercial in that way. But one thing it is <sighs> not. Mean, one thing it is not is your point, which like there are not a lot of Barbie dolls in the movies. There's not a lot of there's like some Barbie deep cut references if you played with them. 20 or 30 years ago, but I'm going to use a word that Dave will perk up to. It, the movie is not toyetic. It is not designing things to be turned into toys. You're not supposed to leave Barbie, go to Target, and buy the Margot Robbie Barbie doll, right? It's like, not, that's not the instinct doll. It's it not not, not yeah. a... It's not <laughs> not a commercial for Barbie. I, I would never argue that it was, but I, I just... I think that, you know, given the world we live in, uh, and the, the branding involved that goes in these major IP movies and how all of them are commercials, not just for the toys, far more explicitly in the case of these superhero movies, but commercials for the next installment in their various uh, canons. Um, it's hard for me to give a shit watching uh, about this particular infraction, watching a movie that has so many other things going on that you can yeah. spend all of its two hours engaged, you know, following down other rabbit holes of thought thinking about other things, thinking about the relationship, which is explicitly on the screen between uh, the way that culture represents ideas and, and concepts of groups of people and the reality um, in the real world. Uh, the idea that you can go and that, like watching this as a father, as Matt Damon once said, as the father of a daughter, uh, <laughs> I got to say, not once did I think about, you know, oh, like what bearing does this have on if uh, I should buy Barbie dolls for my daughter when she grows older? I don't know. Yeah, I also think the movie's really fast to become its own thing. Um, and like, if I were to have seen this movie and Mattel did not sponsor it, but it was the same movie about a world where these dolls were alive and were influenced by somebody in the quote-unquote real world playing with them, I would get the exact same messages from that movie. What I imagine I people you feel... Would, but I oh, you, you don't it. think I would? No, I'll let you finish, but I, yeah, I disagree with that. Go, go. I mean, they have like the board member come into the actual movie so they could like include that. I think it's a really smart way of working around the fact that you're going to have specific studio notes. But I imagine that the story coexisting with the, I, I mean, I would almost say resuscitation of the brand, uh, like making it uh, slightly more acceptable to have a Barbie. Like, this is really more a commercial for the parents of anything else, because I think you're right, Patches. I don't think if little girls see this, they're going to need the Margot Robbie, uh, you know, version of Barbie. little girls should see this, but no. Well, I am, wow, I am not Barbie a too dangerous for little girls? I'm not a yeah. father of a daughter. Uh, but but it, it is a certain type of art coming off of talking about Greta Gerwig uh, as a whole, as to directors who can navigate making a commercial, making a toy commercial, and make it a real movie. Uh, we're on Trial by Content, one of my other podcasts. We're oh. do, we're trying to figure we're trying to figure out the best Batman. Talking so about a commercial I watched, for something else. I watched some believe. Batman Forever, and I'm like, he's got three suits. He's got these vehicles. You know, it's everything is supposed to be like go out, buy the toy, get the McDonald's tie-in, do all that sort of thing. I, I don't feel that push within the narrative of this movie, uh, even though, or maybe it is just winked at enough. Like, I believe there's a part where 
uh, Ken's throwing out Barbie stuff right. from the dream house and it's, you know, freezes on the actual like, product logo. That's deep cut references. That's, that's, I also don't think right. that yeah. it's a 30 rock joke, wig. of course, but I mean, and not that this matters necessarily to the people who are, who are grousing about this being a feature length commercial from Mattel, but I don't think Gregor Wig has a particular fondness or, uh, a, um, what's what I'm looking for relationship to, I guess, uh, uh, uh oh, fuck. Uh, attachment, attachment. Wow, um, attachment to Barbie as a toy, as a brand. What? Um, she really? Said she, yeah, I mean, she said that she played with them as a kid, but it wasn't really something that uh, sort of dominated her imagination. I think she is a lot more activated by what Barbie means to generations of women. Yes, um, and also, I think more than anything, um, I think she is interested in what uh, it, you know the way that that feminism has been marketed across generations, the way that the things that little girls have been taught uh, when, you know, someone born in 1981 was growing up uh, have sort of reflected against the real world experience that those women have then had. Um, and the way that feminism has been sort of uh, it's branding, it's own branding has sort of changed over the last several decades. Um, and I think that she's looking at like how these messages change when they're refracted through the prism of the times in which we live and i think that's what interested interests her most about barbie more than you know the the dolls themselves should be pulled to do splits and played with too violently and all that shit i mean yeah. i think it is still a love letter to to play to what people did with their barbies i mean one of the funniest jokes is if you play with your Barbie too much, and if you light its hair on fire, you cut up its dress, and you get creative with it, it becomes weird Barbie, and that's Kate McKinnon's character. And I mean, I, I think that is a very direct nod to, to how, I mean, in talking to my wife about this, trying to get the uh, opinion of people who played with Barbies into my life here, uh, this, this, this movie is about playing with Barbies, definitely. Um, but it is, it's about how a lot of condemnation came from Barbie, especially in the late 80s and 90s about body image. And I think there's a lot of discourse around Barbie, but that also Barbie, the attempt to make Barbie every type of person, which this movie starts out with because we don't just get Margot Robbie's stereotypical Barbie. That's her words. Uh, we get President Barbie, Issa Rae. We get writer Barbie, Alexandra Shipp. We get Dr. Barbie, Harry Neff. We get all sorts of Barbies. And, and then when they realize what's happened, like the real world is nothing like the Barbie world where women are in control and can do anything. I find that contrast, the, the dream of Barbie to be kind of a fascinating clash, not exactly what I was right. expecting. But, well, that's, that's sort of what we're yeah. talking about, right? It's like the yeah. disconnect between the dream of Barbie, the idea that, you know, little kids have been spoon fed, particularly, you know, I think this was stronger in a way uh, in the eighties and especially the nineties, this idea that like you can be anything, you can do anything. And Barbie is very much a movie Quite literally, I mean, this is not a, a great leap that I'm making about what happens when those ideals uh, confront the real world. I think and what's like, interesting. I, oh yeah, yeah. sorry. Go. No, I just it. I mean, I just, I just think that like Barbie is a great launch pad for a movie that explores things that Greta Gorwick has explored in her previous films um, in a yep. sort of kookier and more heightened way. But again, I just, I feel like Barbie as a product is kind of a means to an end. Um, and I like that about the movie. 
Um, I wasn't, and still actually have not really done my research. I don't know if they still make, I mean, I guess they must still make Barbies, but I wouldn't make a fucking Barbie movie if they didn't. What? Like, if you had asked me, if you had asked me two years ago, I'd be like, I have no idea. It would make sense that they still did because it seems like a popular toy, but I don't know. Um, they absolutely but, still make Barbies. Come on. Go to, go to uh, a store. What store? Toys R Us doesn't exist anymore. Where am Target, I going? Walmart. Uh, <laughs> Target. Stores never. that sell um, toys. But, uh, no, I, I, yeah, I just, I just, I feel like that sort of is the mark. You know, we already have a Polly Pocket. I don't know what Polly Pocket is, uh, but a Polly Pocket don't know is what Polly now apparently Pocket the is? next movie up. It's like the fucking. It's the, a little girl. She's a very, very tiny. She lives in like the. She's compact. small. I don't know. I've met small girls yeah, in real life. I don't know if pocket, it, like I need a movie about it. But um, the, <laughs> it's called the, representation. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I have a hard time envisioning. Uh, toy movies being the next superhero gold rush, but if they're all going to well, very few are like all blockbuster movies Barbie. have to if they're if they're all going to fucking use it as a launch pad to discuss far more interesting things that is just going to get people in the door to be a Trojan horse for more interesting movies. It's certainly no worse than what we've had to deal with for the last stuff for you know twenty years almost. So I'm not yeah, too in mean, shape about what it. I, what I was going to jump in and say was that. There was a version of this movie that was getting developed in like 2016 with Amy Schumer. And I can just imagine that that movie was very much preying on what's wrong with Barbie or the, the, the problems with Barbie and trying to puncture that. Whereas why doesn't I, Barbie I, queef anymore? The, oh, Jesus, the surprise of Greta Gerwig's Barbie is that Barbie is ideal, actually. Like the Wait, did diversity Barbie within queef Barbie in is, the past. <laughs> I was just trying to imagine not what I was I'm not to say in the rest of recording this I episode. I'm not gonna go. Google, Google that. that. Fuck it. I'm brave. Did Queef? Barbie queef in the past? You're the typing here. What, what do we um, got? Did Barbie queef. <laughs> this is what the man segment. We're falling into a trap here. No, I mean, I, this is gonna. I'm gonna shut this down real fast because the third hit that I get is the link to a TikTok. Pornhub. I, I think if I clicked it, the fucking feds would just drop in <laughs> through the skylight I don't have in my apartment and arrest me. That's called shout out to 14 year old me for learning how to queef. Uh, so I'm just going to close the browser now and we're going to move <laughs> on to this conversation. Uh, let, let's let's dig. Let's now go travel from the wormhole of discourse back to the movie itself. Did you did you guys enjoy did you guys enjoy Barbie? Did you have a good time at the Barbie movie? Yeah, it's incredibly weird. It's a weird movie, and it, it works. I think What's so. What's weird? Why is it weird? What 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 threw you off? What was the I, surprise? I think the weirdest thing about it is just the the rationale that it uses to get its plot in motion. I think that like there isn't <laughs> anything particularly weird. I mean, it's weird to see something this self reflexive, um, and and sort of kooky and fun at this budget level. But I don't think a lot of the tactics that she's using are particularly weird in the abstract. I mean, these are things we see in movies. And television shows all the time. I think what's weird is that the plot is incited by voodoo like, dolls. Uh, yeah, no, but like, but like, yeah, voodoo. I mean, sure, but like, by such an abstract relationship between. I mean, it's. It, I love that about it because again, it speaks to this idea of the relationship between the real world and sort of the the corporate slash idealist world. But um, that the movie does not put a more literal spin on it. That there isn't a MacGuffin. Where it's like this one magic doll. I mean, and Margot Robbie is the magic doll, but it's not like a fucking Indiana Jones movie where they're chasing around after this thing. I mean, I, I thought it was weird. They were just, you know, weird in quotes that they were just like, the audience is going to go along with this. It doesn't really need to. Be. It can be one plus one equals three. That's fine. Uh, I like that about it. 
don't know, Dave, would you say something along I mean, those it, lines? It, it, yeah, yeah, basically. It expands beyond where you would expect this movie to go, which is real-world return. Like, solve the problem in the real world, then return. Do the hero's journey thing full, full like, with uh, locations specifically. But how much, uh, there's a very ridiculous and permeable membrane in between the real world and uh, Barbie land um, and how they use that to their advantage, I think is uh, it really smart and really well paced. I think David sort of what you're describing is the Lego movie, which is a commercial that I like, but it's so much more commercial uh, than this where it's like, oh, we're, we got to get the we got to get the super glue because that means you can't change this one. uh all of its obstacles for the character aren't MacGuffin chases or like even if she thinks she's trying to find like a little girl, that's really a process to get us to America Ferreira's mom and then get them both back to Barbie land. Every time that I thought I was on like, you know, a, a more generic plot or a more traditional, not want to say generic, a more traditional plot, um, it instead went the emotional growth route. Uh, which is just surprising to see that out every turn. That like it's really surprised me that this movie's climax is with the Kens um, in in this Barbie movie that seems very focused on on Barbie. Uh, so I think it's it's smart and weird, but in like that very nice way where I the thing that makes it feel weird to me is I should probably actually use the word unique because it's zagging when I think I'm heading towards a zigging. It, uh, it, has a very, it has a very strange rhythm, the, the, the script. It's, it's not structured. Right. You were kind of getting at this where, like, maybe she would just go to Barbie would just come out of Barbie world and go to the real world and have an adventure and then come back and everything would be fine. But they, Barbie comes to the real world, then meets the Mattel people. Actually, she goes to Venice Beach and it's almost like the Brady Bunch or, uh, yeah, where they're all looking at her and be like, who are you? Why? You're so wacky. This is the raw real world, and it's disgusting, and we're going to catcall you, and and it's going to be awful. But then she goes to the Mattel offices, where they are also living in some sort of strange, heightened reality, um, even though they are the real world, in quotes. Uh, and then, then she goes back to Barbie world, and then there, Ken has brought the patriarchy to Barbie world, and all is... is all hell is breaking loose. It's a, it's, it's paced very oddly. Um, I think to maximize the pleasure of the, of the jokes and the sets and I don't know, to just wring every idea that Greta Gerwig possibly had about this concept, as opposed to doing a kind of generic Barbie in the real world adventure. Um, it, it's definitely not generic. Uh, that's kind of the best thing I can say about it. I didn't have like, I don't think it's a perfect movie. I think because of how jagged and zigzaggy it is, it is like kind of hit and miss. Will Ferrell plays the Mattel CEO, and I'm like, why are you so heightened? Like, be real, or why? Okay. Why isn't it? I, 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 a lot of things or were just be, clashing. Be a recognizable businessman. I think yeah. would, would have just turned up for me. I like I, throwing I, things at the yeah. wall the way this movie does, but I'm not sure it's always hitting. I mean, I think contrary to what I was saying earlier about how you know finessed. Uh, and thought over everything that Greta Gerwig does. And actually, you know, it's probably still very much true. This is the least perfect of her three solo directing projects in my mind. Um, and a lot of that does come down to the fact that, like, you know, it's, it's, it's maybe one of the hardest things to do in studio movies to make a broad comedy uh, that is funny and idiosyncratic. 
Um, and I think this one is always idiosyncratic, but not always funny. I think there are a lot of lines that felt, you know, like a punch up or two away from really landing. Um, it settles for like a like a mild chuckle or like a like a polite smile uh, when it could have gone for a laugh. And it's a bummer because I think this movie is operating on a wavelength where it really could have been an all timer had, you know, all of its beats been as strong as its sort of general rhythm uh but my big theory is <laughs> like got me thrown off of every island where i've uh uh tried it out is that if you cut out all of the robert downey jr scenes his character completely from oppenheimer <laughs> and recast <laughs> will ferrell as lewis uh, lewis strauss played by robert downey jr both movies would be better does Robert so Downey would... Jr. become the Mattel executive? So there's no yes. Mattel left in the... Okay. Oh, no, no, no there is. It's just he's played by Robert Downey Jr. And there's no Robert Downey Jr. left in Oppenheimer. This is... I, I think both movies would be improved. Maybe Barbie more than, than Oppenheimer. But uh, I, I think... Wait for the Barbenheimer super cool yeah. for that one. Oh yeah, my god. Robert... When both these movies are available for people to re-edit at uh. will, it's going to be ugly. If Robert Downey Jr. was the villain in a Barbie movie, that was like not since Dennis Hopper is King Koopa in Super Mario Brothers would I be as surprised at yeah, that particular it rule, choice. Right? It'd be kind of cool. Uh, I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd watch it. Yeah, I mean, Will Ferrell, it, he, he didn't really, didn't really work. Like, yeah, I think it's it's all a little bit much. Um, I think the movie is funnier when it's doing. I mean, I get well, really, I, I it think, doesn't does really need him. Like, what? no. Ken just I mean, needs to go to the real world, then Ken needs to look at horses and yeah, men in cowboy so hats and then bring it back to Barbie world, which he does. Like, it all... What what does Will Ferrell and the Mattel aspect of this movie add to it at, at because all? Because I think you can't unless it's, it's, you... Well, go on, Dave. It's the doorway to the, the ghost of Ruth. That's the only thing I could think about that I actually need <laughs> yes, to Yes, and also there. in the real world, there are ghosts of the God, Barbie creator. That scene is so weirdly it's solid. So I mean, I, I really, I appreciate in broad strokes, you know, Rhea Perlman uh, being in movie. Perlman and, in a movie, great. Yeah, yeah, and like playing Ruth. Rhea Perlman uh, in a movie this week, Danny DeVito uh, in a movie uh, yeah. next, oh, or God. this week. Like, um, back to yeah. back, the power cut. Uh, he's talking about Haunted Mansion. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I think that scene is just like, it's so weirdly lifeless. Uh, and it's like Barbie's supposed to be sort of dazed and not know where she is in the Matrix you know, which is essentially what's happening when she's running around from the agents and she goes into meet the key master, another key master, the Oracle. I mean, that's exactly what's happening in that scene. Uh, but it is weirdly deadening. I don't know. Uh, not just because the woman Rhea Perlman is playing has been dead for a long time. Um, but the, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, you need the Mattel stuff in order to bridge that divide that I've talked about already ad nauseum you know, between reality and representation um, you need that device in there. Do you need to spend quite so much time on those characters? I don't know. I mean, I thought that the, I like seeing the silliness of Barbie land in the real world when she's running through the office and they're doing that Pac-Man like yeah, escape. That That's Good funny. Set pieces. Yeah. But like the jokes in the boardroom scene all needed to be tighter. Um, you know, it, but it works conceptually for me. Uh, but you know, it, none of it, none of it can touch Barbie being called a fascist by a 12 year old girl. Or, uh, you know, or, um, you know, Ken deciding that horses are sort of a synonym for masculinity <laughs> or expression of masculinity, man extenders, um, you know, like, like that stuff is, is really wonderful. Um, and, but does a movie that is all that stuff 
does it connect with the mainstream in the same way? I mean, not, personally, I don't care. I also don't know. Uh, but I mean, can, can I just point out, we're recording this. We're recording this on Wednesday night, five days after Barbie officially opened in theaters. And the movie has already made $472 million worldwide. Mm-hmm. That is insane. And yet <laughs> so has, been, has been banned in Vietnam. And the, well, yeah, I mean, Vietnam is for usually the biggest international. Line. Did you yeah, catch that scene office. where there's just like a background map of the real world and weird you know, Barbie's apartment? I caught, I caught the controversy like, before wow. the movie came out, but not in the actual Banned movie. Banned in Vietnam. Strange. Um, uh, I'm not going to map that one. You can You can Google that one. But okay, let's curious. talk about let's talk about the elephant in the room, as it, or the horse in the room, uh, as it were. Please, um, not to give the Ben Shapiro's of the world uh, any credit, really, or any oxygen. Um, not going to do that. You're doing that. I know. I but I said not to, so it doesn't count. Um, but uh, or or sort of right wing film bloggers who refuse to understand that they have become right wing film bloggers. Uh, you know, there's been this argument. This movie is. Uh, I a shiver runs down my spine when I say the word woke, but also addition, addition to that anti men that is Does it deeply misinterest. Does it hate men? Does Barbie hate men? And it probably doesn't even need to be said that the answer is obviously no. Um, the answer, but, uh, the answer is so no that there's a whole yeah. another discourse where the people are mad that the movie is too obsessed right. with the binary of women and men and yeah this is more of a discourse el- like problem treating than anything men else. with love and empathy but i think yeah but it's so viscerally does that it's so you know i i am someone who rolled their eyes at america Ferrera's speech uh not at the ideas that informed it um or their reality but just how America it comes Ferreira out and playing how it, it, the real world yeah. person who like yeah and it does and feel standing for all women yeah, it does feel very sort of early Obama era shtick and, and the kind of thing that this movie would be smart enough to understand the sort of critical distance that we've gotten from that as a culture. And it, it doesn't. And so I feel like that movie kind of steps on its own foot. But there is, as Greta Gerwig has said, like there is a another version of that speech that could have been given by one of the Kens, um, you know, or walking their own tightrope, I think was the expression that she used and have their own. Uh, their own difficulties and and like we don't need to see that in this movie because that's not what the movie is about but it is clear how they are struggling to sort of be all things at all time in their own way um and it's also a very clever idea to sort of give women uh, at the start of the movie the sort of like candied um you know feminist version of their own patriarchy where everything is uh so bright and cheery that it really is into the real world where really anyone in the audience bothers to to think about what effect this might have on the men in the world. And the movie is, by virtue of its structure, asking you to think sympathetically towards the condition of the men in Barbie land and to think about how, you know, the circumstances under which they were living, um, you know, can, can no only homes. be happy if Barbie looks at her and right, they don't own property and all this shit. <laughs> it's, it's obviously such a mirror image of uh, the patriarchy that it ends up sort of skewering the patriarchy at the same time as, uh, well, I'm not going to, I'm going to stop short of saying men's rights, but at the same time uh, of sort of standing up for, for men in the face of discourse that over the last several years, you know, has really been on well, fairly unfriendly to men. Um, not fairly as in mildly, but fairly as in justly. Um, so, you know, I think all those things sort of, 
clearly discredit that argument, but I don't think that argument was really made in good faith well, or I, by I think strong thinkers. Greta Gerwig is, is sympathetic to men who are brainwashed by the notion of masculinity. There's a montage in the movie where we see like Stallone, pictures of Stallone. I think it's when Ken is having his like 2001 a Space Odyssey falling through the gate, awakening to what masculinity is. Um, and we see pictures of Stallone flash by and just like men being men and horses and cowboy hats and all this garbage. And um, there's, there's no reason to think that men should also be Ken in the kind of like ideal Barbie way. And I don't know. I, I read that as, as sympathetic to all of these kind of gender boxes that people get put in. Um, and can we just be people? I, yeah, it's, kind of, it's a basic notion. I think people will be poking holes in this movie for a long time about what it has to say about women and their relationship with men and how, why are we putting that on the pedestal here? Why does it need to be about how women are interacting with men? Can't women be women? But um, I, I think there's room for all of that conversation in this movie that she's spun up. Um, yeah, because, I mean, I think there's... Because of these yeah, dolls yeah. and how that their legacy of these dolls is... Uh, Ken is part of the legacy of Barbie. So Ken is going to be uh, part no of this movie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this, this movie, I think, because my biggest sort of complained about it coming out of it was that it tries to do so many things that it's uh the problem is margot you know, robbie it's, doesn't it's have so, a very good role yeah, in this movie it's so She's the over, least fun it, part yeah i mean the movie is so overstuffed with ideas which is certainly um i'll take that over you know the opposite which we've seen far too many times i mean again as i said during our oppenheimer episode i think i mean the whatever reservations i have about either of these movies they really are graded on a curve because both of them are just so, so many heads and shoulders above the average Hollywood product, which I don't mean to be as much of a backhanded compliment as it sounds, but it, it's like, you know, whatever I grousing I have about Barbie it is like so clearly one of the two or three most interesting studio movies of the last couple of years that it doesn't even, you know, isn't worth mentioning. But I think, uh, yeah, the movie is very overstuffed. It gives every line of thought, every sort of take that somebody wants to have enough ammunition for them to shoot themselves in the foot. Um, and that can be a strength, uh, you know, in how thoughtful it is. It can also, I think, points to how over, over busy the movie is. Um, I think as opposed to something like Oppenheimer, where um, the lines of attack and the way the conversation was going to mutate after seeing that movie, I think was very predictable. Um, and it's been playing out along those lines so far. Um, I think I prefer the open-endedness of something like Barbie, but uh, they are very different movies, despite Patches thinking that Greta Gerwig and Christopher Nolan are literally the same person and never been photographed in the same place at the same time. Uh, what do Greta Gerwig suits look like? We must find out. Dave, Dave, as we wrap up here, I'm just wondering if this movie is just full of moments and, and full of jokes and full of things to look at. Are there... What stands out to you in, in Barbie? Were there high highs or was it low lows? Barbie comes like... to Ken's Mojo Dojo Casa house. Oh boy, yeah. And says she would like to be a girlfriend boyfriend. That's and redundant. He goes, be he goes behind a, uh, a, a a partial wall and goes sublime, and then <laughs> walks back out. That, that's my favorite moment in the movie. See, I didn't even like the. I don't. I didn't think I understood what he was saying. 
um, or that it registered with me, which is all the more reason why I'm eager to see it again. Can we just talk for two seconds about I'm Just Ken, which is like really one of the great Or just about Ryan, His song? about Ryan Gosling, uh, yeah. who understood the assignment that he had the part, like he had the part in this movie. Ryan oh, Gosling yeah. has the part in this movie. Um, uh, as you were saying, David Margot Robbie's character, all right, maybe Patches, as we were Patches, all saying, Patches. the uh, the Barbie character has a very specific arc she needs to go on, which sort of means that Margot Robbie doesn't get to like fully act until like maybe the. Although end I scene. thought her bit with the flat feet when she's like uh, discovering that she's being played with in a in a in a awakening way or too realistic way, and when she gets flat feet, I thought that whole bit was really funny, and everyone gagging. And Kingsley Ben Adir as basketball yeah. Ken, like vom- air vomiting, I just thought was hysterical. So she gets a little bit of comedy, but not, yes, not but enough. It, not enough. It's it's Ryan Gosling sort of like uh, the the must often talked about Kennergy uh, that really I think sort of blasts this movie's or his performance in this movie into something special uh, Can because you feel the Kennergy. So much dancing. Yeah, and that, like, that's, that's, oh, that's what yes. I'm missing. I, I would take like three more Ryan Gosling dancing movies and no more Ryan Gosling punching Harrison Ford movies. That, that's sort of how I feel about this performance. I don't feel like Ryan... Oh, I, was gonna, I guess that was pretty recent. I was going to say, it doesn't feel like Ryan Gosling is eager to make more movies where he's punching anyone, really. Um, but he also is just not making a lot of movies. Rayman uh, 2, him, baby, let's count. go. Grayman uh, 2. Grayman 2. The gray, oh, fuck. That's I totally memory hold the Grayman. I actually uh, think I take, he's doing another movie kind of yeah, like that. Wasn't he right. like Stuntman or something? God, I gotta, t- yeah, this, I gotta take back my comment because the Grayman oh, came out last year and it's all just him punching and shooting people, but it also does not at any level exist. It's gonna be in a David so, Leach movie called The Fall Guy. That's okay. Well, I was wrong. I guess I'm just talking about the, the Ryan Gosling performances that I actually remember <laughs> um, are trending in a different direction. Um, but man, that song fucking rules. And if they, I mean, they can submit as many songs as they want, but if any of the other original songs to this movie get a uh, best original song nomination, a famously broken character, a famously broken category over I'm Just Ken, I will be very upset. I loved that. Uh, what? But you don't like that Lizzo song? In the beginning, the song where she great, gets to but it's like a it's a jokey, existential crisis of death. It's like a jokey plot song, and it's like it's a lot of fun, oh. and it is kind of stuck in my head right now. But it is not the instant hey, classic. Uh, um, it is not the instant classic that is. I'm just Ken, uh, which also has the added benefit of not just talking through the opening minutes of the movie, but sort of being at its very core uh, of what it is and and how it's operating. So love that for Ken, Ryan Gosling. I, I, uh, what's your workout I, I plan? Re- mention this but i i thought kate mckinnon was great in this movie. oh uh, i'm not the biggest fan i'm not usually the biggest fan i just thought weird barbie getting the exposition dump like she's the good person to give exposition she's doing splits she has wacky hairdo she has like a peewee's funhouse house i loved all her bit mm, you didn't like i do really kate like mckinnon? kate mckinnon but her character i just thought like you get it the moment she shows up and i think it's also suffering from the fact that like i felt like you they know i i would I was not seeking out trailers necessarily, but this movie had a long tail of, of marketing. Uh, clearly, it worked. But I felt like watching the first 30 minutes of this movie that I had seen virtually every frame of it already. 
Because um, they only use the beginning of the movie yeah. to market it. And, like, there was a the not, benefit of I that, didn't go in yeah, The benefit of that is that, that, like, yeah, I mean, the benefit of that is that once you get over that hump, it can feel new, but it is kind of enervating to spend, first, to spend the first 30 minutes of the movie being like, oh, wait, the jokes, not only have I seen every one of these jokes, but they are in the finished product exactly as they were presented in the trailer from the 2001 um, opening to the exact rhythm in which she stops the dance party to ask if anyone else thinks about death. I mean, like, it, it really felt like I had seen that movie you need before, to stop watching and trailers. that was disappointing. I, but I'm saying I don't. I, I didn't really go out of my way to see the trailers, but it was just maybe they just left an impression. I don't know. What about it was just, Alan? It was struck by how like Michael Sarah yeah. saved this one for you. Did you enjoy Alan? Michael Sarah. Michael Sarah is reliably one of the best parts of everything he's in, and Alan rules. <laughs> it's true. It all in sync. All Alan. Alan has a <laughs> as a Scott Pilgrim fight scene. Alan in this movie, which I was not expecting. Uh, the only thing he's that could be better is if he had a dream sequence where a Velociraptor. He wakes Alan. up in an empty private plane and the philosopher goes, Alan! Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of gags. There's a lot of jokes. I liked all the little jokes. I, um, it's just such a, it's just a whirlwind of a movie. I think I'm with you, David. I want to see it again. Um, maybe when my daughter is older and could watch it and could uh, be in a room where Barbie says penis and vagina really loudly. Uh, I don't know what when that will be, but that does happen in the movie and that took me back. It took me aback. Is your daughter unaware that those things have names? No, I just don't think I want Barbie to be screaming penis and vagina uh, at my five-year-old at this time. Maybe, what, eight, nine? I don't know. When, when is Barbie appropriate? There was definitely a five-year-old behind me at the movie. I was seeing at 8.30 p.m. on a Monday night. Uh, I don't I know. I feel like Who's I was calling people a penis at the age of five, uh, knowing wow. that what what the anatomical thing was. Well, but, I don't you know, want my daughter to be you. That was the 80s. Yeah, that was the 80s. I've learned anything from watching uh, Bluey. The 80s was a different time. What did we not say about wait, Barbie? Wait, what? <laughs> what episode of Bluey is about the 80s? Oh, uh, there's a couple of one. There's uh, Fairy Tale, which is about uh, Bandit uh, talking about when he was a kid, mm-hmm. and he the kids are like, where, where, why aren't you wearing a helmet? And he's like, it was the 80s, kids, and several mm. times he's like, it was the 80s. Uh, and then during uh, Past the Parcel, Lucky's dad is not the how... 80s. Yeah. Yeah. Are we going to get a Bluey movie? Is that gonna, is Let's that... play Lucky's or... Rules. Uh, Lucky's yeah. dad's rules. Lucky's dad's um, rules. <laughs> Pass the parcel. Uh, I don't. Th- I mean, maybe. I don't know. But it seems possible. Um, I with? wonder how Bluey works. Bluey, yeah, as a movie form. But I know that get the right, episode get, of Bluey uh, where they go to the movies is sort of a sacred text in my house. So, wow. Yeah, Maybe Chutney Rod- Chip. Negro Prieto will come back for the Bluey movie now that he's shot Killers of the Flower Moon, Irishman, Barbie. <laughs> What a, what all right, let's end this. We all, we all, we all, yeah. we all like this movie, right? That, that's yeah. what I'm getting yeah. for this conversation. Yeah, good movie. Like it's it. no Haunted Mansion, but what is? Uh, that's David's being sarcastic. Barbie, <laughs> it's in theaters. Go to theaters. Theaters are fun. You to call in, man, you send you up. Reason, call in, nine to nine, two, so. All right. That does it for this week's Fighting in the War Room. We'll be back next week talking about something. At least two of us will be back next week talking about something. And maybe Katie will be back talking about something. Who knows? Until then, tell the people who you are. 
I am Matt Patches, executive editor of Polygon.com. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches, Blue Sky at Mr. Patches, Letterboxd at Mr. Patches, and I also made a uh, Barbenheimer Spotify playlist. I got to tell you, the uh, Ludwig Gorenson Oppenheimer score really flows well between the uh, Barbie, like Lizzo, Dua Lipa tracks. It's, uh, it's a good experience. I'm yeah. just Ken. Yeah. <laughs> it works. It works. Um, and we have a website, fightingintheworm.com. If you want to go listen to old episodes right now, or I bet you we talked about Little Women, I bet you we talked about Lady Bird, at least in our top 10 of the year episodes, uh, go go to fightingintheworm.com and listen to the back catalog. I'm David Ehrlich. Uh, I am the film critic at IndieWire. You can find me writing on IndieWire. Uh, about the haunted mansion, for example, not and also in like conversation pieces about Barbie, but I did not review it outright. You can find me on X at David Ehrlich and that blue sky, where I technically have an account, my name, at Instagram. If you want to watch videos of my kids for some reason, freak. Um, you can find all of us together on iTunes at Fighting in the War Room. Leave us a review. We'll read it. Read it live on the show. Uh, I'm. Dave Gonzalez, spell that D-A-7-E, and you could follow me on X uh, as that. You can follow me on Blue Sky as that. You can follow me on Threads and Instagram as Grumpy D-A-7-E, because again, that's how meta products make me feel. Why am I on all of these things? I have a book coming out in October. You can pre-order that at the mcubook.com. Uh, you could email all of us at fitwr.podcast at gmail.com. You can tweet at Katie Rich on the X at K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. You can also listen to her on the Little Gold Men podcast. Very good podcast. Still uh, putting out baller content, even though who knows when the awards season's going to happen this year. Um, and uh, you could follow all of us on X if you so desire at F-I-T-W-R, where you could let us know how we uh, did what talking about barbie i guess but more importantly tell us uh your answer to this week's lightning round question which was in honor of disney's haunted mansion uh what's your favorite cinematic haunted house there's some great ones out there we didn't even mention all right we did it talk to you guys next week